Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show where we talk to experts who've taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have sailed around the world to those who've started thriving businesses and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. This is episode 11 with three-time gold medalist and all-around badass, Elena Jane Nichols. Today's guest is a real treat. I know I say that every week, but Elena Jane Nichols is a three-time Olympic gold medalist. She's the first female American to win gold in both the summer and winter games. She competed in Olympic wheelchair basketball, Olympic alpine skiing, Olympic kayak racing. Now this girl is wave skiing and surfing. She's got a wonderful story. She was injured when she was 17 from a snowboarding accident, and she went on to be a force like no other. I love this episode because Elena is incredibly articulate. She's super positive, but she's very real. She's done TED Talks, so she shares her story in its most raw form, and I I really hope you enjoy this show. It's one of my favorites. This episode was brought to you by Skills. That's S-K-L-Z. This company prepares athletes so they can be ready for their sport with the coolest training tools around, from agility ladders to battle ropes, sandbags, as well as things I love like stability balls, which I use if I have to sit, foam rollers, and massage tools so you're always ready and on the top of your game, whether you're a soccer player, a surfer, a baseball player, a golfer, or even if you're a yogi. If you're an athlete and you get a chance to tour the Skills Warehouse, or even if you check out their products online, it's like being a kid at the Chocolate Factory. Our next guest, Elena Jane Nichols, uses their products. And now if you go to skills.com, that's S-K-L-Z.com, you'll get 30% off your purchase with the code WILDIDEAS. All right, so today we have on Elena the Jane Nichols. <laughs> Elena, welcome to the show. We're actually at the Challenge Athletes Foundation in San Diego. It's a beautiful facility. Elena, I'm really excited to have you on. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, and um, so I, I just want to start today. The surf was really good. Um, I know you went out yesterday. Can you tell me where you surfed? And let's just talk about surfing because you've yeah. recently gotten into surfing. Yeah, good topic. I like that start. Uh, so I moved out to San Diego about two years ago after learning how to surf out in Hawaii. It totally changed my life. And subsequently I had to move my entire world from Colorado out to California cause I really can't get enough. So, uh, I did manage to fit in a surf session at San Onofre, which is just North of San Diego. Uh, it was actually the place that I learned how to surf when I first started. Um, we call this little spot dog patch and it is kind of a Mecca for people with disabilities in Southern California who want to learn how to surf. So, uh, a board shaper named Steve Bainey, uh, he is, he shapes out of Dana point and he's kind of got this old school style and he's been shaping wave skis, which is what I surf on for years. It used to be an able-bodied sport back in the seventies, Yeah, you know, in South Africa, the guys wave ski all the time. Yeah. It's like a thing for able-bodied people. Mm -hmm. Well, we just realized, I mean, 
maybe over 10 years, just over 10 years ago, that wave skiing is a perfect way to adapt surfing for people with disabilities. Mm. So I'm a paraplegic. I'm, I'm basically paralyzed from like mid thigh down. And I just got onto an able-bodied wave ski. I sat on it. You strap across the waist. You have like a Velcro strap that you just, it's very kind of primitive and you know, I'm like, I think one day we're going to be like, remember when we used to strap ourselves to surfboards? Like what the, what were we thinking? I've been out with a couple guys on wave skis, um, who are paralyzed from the waist down and, and it's, it's kind of scary. It's awesome and thrilling at the same time, but right. it's terrifying when they fall. Um, yeah. Well, so as an able-bodied surfer, you guys are when you are about to wipe out or whenever you want to get off of a wave or whatever, you kick out your board and you have all four of your body parts to get to the surface of the water. You can swim, you can kick whatever you need to do. Meanwhile, we're strapped to our boards when we fall over. So we're underwater getting tumbled, unstrap with one hand, hold on to the paddle, which has a leash attached to the board with the other hand, and then yeah. figure out how to go and get to the surface of the water with one hand. So I don't know. We're going to figure it out. We're pioneering it right now. All I know is I just saw a video of you. It was that 60 minutes special. Okay. For those listening, I'm going to leave this in the show notes as well, but there's a 60 minutes on Elena and in 15 minutes, I have never laughed so hard Aww. or cried. <laughs> um, but there's a, there's a picture, there's a little segment of you at Cardiff reef mm-hmm. and you're doing full cutbacks on a wave ski. A cutback is I don't even really know how to describe it. You're, you're turning into the wave and then using your paddle to go mm-hmm. completely in the opposite direction. Better than any able-bodied surfer <laughs> I know. You're doing amazing cutbacks. Thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, you know, it's been a long time. I've been surfing two years and every time I go out, I learn something new. And I mean, I'm still dreaming of that day. I can get barreled and, and really figure out how to find myself in the pocket of the wave. But Um, as for right now, I'm just so lucky. I feel so blessed to be able to get out into the ocean as a person with a disability. Like it's amazing. And, um, I'm thankful for all the people that kind of paved that path, including the guys at dog patch, which, um, you know, Steve Bainey gets us out into the water. They've built this trolley system. Um, can you you describe how you get into the water? I'm I'm really curious. So it depends on, right. It depends on how, um, how the beach setup basically. So on the 60 minute special, I actually wanted to show the camera crew and, and my people, and I guess everybody in the nation that I could get into the ocean by myself. And that's one way to go about it. So I basically crawled, you know, I find my way into a wetsuit, which by the way, paraplegia and wetsuits are just like, (laughs) they don't go together, but um, Note to all the wetsuit manufacturers I work with, let's start building yeah. wetsuits that are more friendly. Please, zippers, whatever. I would be happy to work with someone and, and figure that out. Um, so find your way into a wetsuit, find your way onto the beach, get as far as you can. Cardiff Reef here in Southern California has a beach mat. Super thankful for that. It gets you about halfway down the sand. Once you get to the sand, from there you can either scoot, just regular old butt scoot across the sand or for me I can actually crawl so I crawl up to the water's edge hopefully thankfully I have somebody with me that can carry my board to the water and then I get on my board just about where the water is and 
wait for the water to come in enough water to pick up my board and then for me to get out and the 60 minute special I kind of got thwomped on on the beach break but was able to get back out but um, at dog patch, actually, it's a really rocky beach. It's got those big boulders. Mm-hmm. And so we actually built this trolley system that it just has two big balloon tires on either side. And our boards sit right onto like a flat surface. From there, we can have able-bodied people just drag us um, across those rocks and into the water. And then we're off on our own. But then how do you come back in? Do you have to wait for someone to be on the beach? Yeah, it's kind of like hopefully they see you and you wave your hands and tell them you're ready. And, you know, right now, as far as adaptive surfing goes, it's not something that I typically do independently. Like I can't just go get in the ocean and get out of it by myself. Mm. Um, some people do, and that's good for them. And, yeah. uh, you know, but I usually go with able-bodied people. I'll get a piggyback, whatever it takes, you know? Well, I can't wait to go surfing with you. Yeah, let's do it. I- I'm excited. Um, yeah. For those of you, you have to watch the 60 Minutes episode with Elena. She rips. Um, you, you also, you're really fit. Um, I know that paddling for you, it just, it looked really natural. But you have a little background in paddling mm-hmm. and you train a ton. Can you talk a little bit about how you train and how you got into paddling? Yeah, so it all goes back to the summer after the 2014 winter Paralympic games where I was a ski racer, I had just had, um, a fairly disappointing 2014 games in 2010. I'd won four medals. So in 2014 as a ski racer, I wanted to better that medal count. I wanted five golds. Like yeah, I set my bar gold high. medal. One isn't enough. Four isn't enough. <laughs> I want all five and I want them to be gold. Uh, So, you know, going into those games, I had had a bad crash. Uh, I skied directly into a boulder going like 40 miles an hour, dislocated my shoulder posteriorly backwards. While you were alpine skiing. While I was alpine skiing. Which, by the way, for those who've never watched Paralympic alpine skiing, you're in a chair on one ski. Yeah. It also looks terrifying. So you like these sports that It's sort of terrifying. terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think I'll look back and be like, remember when I used to strap myself to a machine and go down a mountain at 70 miles per hour? (laughs) So nuts. Uh, It's really fun. And you know what? The technology has come a long way. But as a ski racer, I, you know, I had a great career. I went into the Sochi Games in 2014, hoping for five medals. And I left there with a scar on my chin Mm. after getting, falling directly on my face and getting knocked out. And so... Long story short, I was in Hawaii that summer after those games and sort of at a crossroad in my Paralympic career. I didn't plan on surfing. I I didn't actually, you know, know anything about it going into Hawaii, but I learned about a a program there called Access Surf. And it's a program out of Oahu. It, It makes it possible for people with disabilities to get in the water. So I learned about them. One of their directors she got, went out of her way to get me into the water and she introduced me to what I do now, which is called wave skiing. And yeah, basically it's a surfboard that's made for sitting. You have a strap across your waist and a kayak paddle to paddle into the waves. And when I learned how to surf and that trip that I was on, I realized I didn't want to go back to alpine skiing. I didn't feel like my basketball career, wheelchair basketball career, um, 
needed any more. I felt organically like I was done with that as well. And I put it all together that the Paralympic Games was introducing sprint kayak into the Paralympic Games mm. in 2016. So in my head, I thought, okay, if I go to 2016, it'll be my third sport. Nobody's yeah. ever done that. And I could paddle for two years at such a high level that then I could transition into surfing and be really strong. So smart. So you got up at what, five? I mean, I know what paddle practices look like. They're yeah. usually at ungodly hours in the morning on the bay. Yep. So you trained with? With the San Diego Canoe and Kayak team on Mission Bay here in San Diego. And yeah, grueling. 5 a.m.? Grueling 5 a.m. practices. I mean, I'm up at 5 leaving the house at 5.30, on the water at 6. Wow. And For two straight years. Two straight years. And we trained, it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but for an entire hour straight without stopping, we were paddling. I, I met you right, I think it was right after Rio, and you're just like, I never want to touch a kayak yeah. paddle again. <laughs> exactly. We, we kind of just skipped ahead. So maybe we should kind of go backwards a little bit. Before your accident, when you were a teenager... You were on your way uh, to college on a softball scholarship. So you're just a gifted athlete, I can tell. I'm guessing you played a lot of sports in in high school. Can you tell me a little bit about your athletic career before you went to college and before your accident, what happened and and sort of just how you how you went to college? Um, you had a scholarship um, to play softball at was it Arizona? Mm-hmm. In Arizona and you had your accident. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. For those who don't know your story. Yeah. Um, so thank you for saying I was a gifted athlete. It, I can tell. It's You're something. You're athlete now. Well, yeah. And you know what? I'm really blessed by that. I just was, I was just given this natural talent. And to be honest, it was, sports have been a saving grace in my life from the age of five years old when my grandparents adopted me to when I was 17 and I broke my back. Um, but during that time, you know, in my childhood, I just naturally, I picked up softball when I was five. So it was T-ball at the time. And, you know, I, I found that I love to compete. I, I not only like love to play, I like wanted to win. It was, it was awkward. (laughs) I'm just like this little five-year-old that's like, come on guys, you know? Um, but I loved it. And I, I couldn't get enough of it every day. I I mean, I can't remember a day after school from the age of five years old to the day that I broke my back that I saw that I saw a school bus leave the school. Like I I played sports, basketball, volleyball and softball from the age of five to 17. Awesome. So I had a great childhood. Um, I really started to put all my eggs in that softball basket when I started to think about college and. I really love to play fast pitch softball. I played on a traveling team as well. So it was getting pretty serious for me. And um, I had been getting collegiate offers. And and really, I I had this dream of playing softball, not only at a collegiate level, but in the Olympics Mm -hmm. one day. I thought about that being a possibility. I mean, it was a dream of mine, a far-fetched dream. I mean, it's really so difficult to make the softball team for the United States, but certainly something I'd thought about. And, uh, it was my senior year in high school. Um, I was out back country skiing with some friends early in the season, November 19th to be exact. And, uh, we had just gotten a fair amount of snow, but 
as you know, in November, there's not really a base mm. at, at the bottom of the mountain. There's no real snow coverage. So I had been thinking about all summer long trying a backflip. I had it in my head that I wanted to do this. I could do a flat ground backflip just wow. standing. I just, I was like mm-hmm. sort of obsessed about it. And uh, I mean, I could do a double backflip on a trampoline. I was really like, <laughs> I wanted to make this happen. This is how natural of an athlete she is. Well, and you know, it was also how sort of naive I think I was, mm. you know, everybody mm-hmm. at 17 is just like, yeah, I'm invincible. Yep. I can do anything I want. Mm-hmm. And so we go out back country and, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this backflip and I'm just biting at the bit. Like I got to do this. And it was late in the day. It was like three o'clock. We'd been hiking and jumping all day. We'd just built a couple of kickers and really impulsively. I looked at my friend. I said, Hey, JC, I'm going to try a backflip. And before he could say another word, I was sliding towards that jump. And, you know, in my head, I was thinking the last thing I want to do is under rotate this backflip. So I threw my feet over my head as hard as I could. And I ended up over rotating the backflip, um, did a one and a half landing back first on the snow and my board and my boots landed over my head. And it turns out there was a pretty good sized boulder underneath the snow where I landed. And because of that boulder, the density of the landing broke my back in three places. Well, yeah. So you were going to go to college on a scholarship, but then you still went not, not much long after your accident. Yeah. You know, it's so cool to look back at how this all played out because, uh, Olympic softball and baseball got taken out of the games And it was interesting Interesting. how when I thought my Olympic dreams were crushed along with my back and I would never be an athlete again, I went on to college. I, I mourned the loss of my legs and who I was as an athlete for like two years. It was a pretty dark time. And I just was lost without sports, really. And I spent two years at the University of New Mexico just like hating life And then one day I rolled through the gym at the University of New Mexico and I saw this whole team of people playing wheelchair basketball. And I was just kind of like, what is this freak show? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Wait, Wait, so did you transfer to University of New Mexico? No, I had gone after I broke my back. I went back to high school and then I went to the University of New Mexico because I was like, I got to go to college, you know? Okay. And then I was just kind of moping around there when one day I came across basketball basketball. And that yeah. is a sport you played in high school. Yeah. I uh, played, um, all my life. So what, what sort of tactics kind of got you through those two years? Like, how did you come out the other side? You know, there was, there was something about, I think that the way that I was raised, my grandparents raised me and, There was no doubt in my mind that if anybody was going to get through that accident, that injury, that it would be me. Like I didn't have my grandma love her to death. She's Norwegian and from a different generation, there was no coddling involved. Mm. Like stop crying, you know, like, yeah, we're going to deal with this. Like there's no way around it. So like, let's do it. And there was something about her just sort of gritty toughness, you know, that transferred over to me. And I just didn't have any, any other option. 
Yeah, grit is a word I would use to describe you. And and what's so great is you have these arms that are just beautiful. Like your you. arms, I know you could kick anybody's butt, which is <laughs> awesome. And I love that you played basketball because, yeah, basketball, wheelchair basketball also looks terrifying. So you're attracted <laughs> to these terrifying sports. But um, it, I, it's funny. I, I watched the video of you playing basketball, and it's and you said something like it was not uncommon for you to get fouled out of a game. Yeah. So can you just talk <laughs> a little bit about basketball and and what it was like playing basketball in a wheelchair versus basketball? You know the way you were used to playing it. Yeah, it's it was really tough at the beginning. I I saw this game going on at the University of New Mexico when I first saw it. And it was the first time I'd seen anybody in a wheelchair my age, let alone five on five, wow. 10 of them playing against each other. And they were hitting each other in their chairs, falling over, getting back up. And like, I awesome. loved how violent it was. <laughs> I was just like, yes. And you know what? I realized afterwards Ever since my injury, you know, I played fast pitch softball. I'm sliding into home plate head first. Yeah. Like I'm tough. And ever since my accident, people tiptoed around me like I was this fragile thing that was just going to break. And mm-hmm. so I realized afterwards, I was like, you know, I really like basketball because I because I I got hit and I wanted to feel again and not feel so fragile. And I was still a person. I was still a tough athlete, you know, and. I wanted to feel that way. And I think that's why wheelchair basketball really intrigued me. Um, but you know what? It was really frustrating. I had always used my, you know, my ankles and my knees and my hips to everything kind of work so fluidly to get the ball up and out of my hand and into the hoop. And then I sit in this chair and I mean, I looked up at that hoop. It seemed like a mile away. I throw the ball granny style two handed and couldn't hit the rim. And I was just like, I'm not doing this and some curse words in the middle and just like, this is not the same. And I, there was very, it was a very real tension between who I used to be and who I needed to be next. And I, it was just a tough transition. Like most transitions are, but I looked over at these people that were playing and there's a couple of them missing legs or, you know, whatever, they have higher paralysis levels than me and they're doing it. And I was like, okay, like, how did you learn how to play? Well, I ended up playing with that community team and they were mostly all guys. And so like guys, they just didn't take any mercy. They were just going at me full force. And I, it was kind of trial by fire. It was a like, get in there, <laughs> figure it out, you know? And then it was very fortunate. Um, I was very fortunate because I was an athlete before my injury. I knew the game really well and I had a heart like the heart of a competitor. So when I learned about this program at the university of Arizona and the fact that they had an all women's team, I was like, I'm going literally hadn't even learned how to drive a car yet, bought a car, totally kind of illegally drove it. Well Cause you're supposed <laughs> to like get certified for that. Or something. And then I moved to Arizona. I played with this women's team and then I got, um, I got recognized, basically recruited by the U S Paralympic team. Wow. What yeah. a cool story. Um, and you just played basketball like two nights ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I still, I love it. It's still such a passion of mine. I played with the wounded warriors here in San Diego and, uh, talk about some, some rough play. <laughs> These guys have all been blown up in Iraq and mm. you know, so 
So there's, there's, yeah, yeah, you can definitely hang with the best of them, Elena. In 2010, you, you told me on the phone, you, you know, losing, losing, losing full use of your legs wasn't the hardest loss you've gone through. You said you also lost your brother the same year you were going to the Olympics. And I watched that Olympic run of yours, um, while you're alpine skiing and, and, um, on 60 minutes, you talk about how you're balling the entire time before the run, during the run, after the run, and you win gold. Can you just, that was such like an emotional movement moment to watch. Um, I'm like, I'm at a loss for words. Can you just talk a little bit about that and, and loss and what it's like to deal with loss and how you overcome with, come it? Yeah. Thanks for asking about that. Um, my, my brother was from the time that I started playing softball to the time of his death was my biggest fan. And regardless of what struggles he was dealing with his, in his life, anytime we got on the phone or saw each other, I mean, he was fully engaged in what I was doing and how I was competing. And, and so in the summer of 2009, um, my brother had a, a really tough life and he ended up being introduced to drugs at a really young age and just got kind of caught up in the wrong crowd. And so in 2009, unexpectedly, he was murdered in Denver, Colorado, which is where I was living at the time. And it's an, it's an unspeakable pain. It's, there are still aren't words to describe like the actual feeling of loss that happened that day when I learned that he passed and, you know, just there, it's just this, this unbelievable experience. And, you know, to go through that with my sisters and my mom is just something that, you know, I'll never really fully be able to describe, but, um, after that and, you know, with grief, everybody goes about it differently. And, my mom and my sisters, you know, they needed to return to work and we all just kind of had to keep our heads above water for a while. And the only thing that I knew to do was to keep training. And I had embarked on this journey of going to the 2010 games, not long after Beijing in 2008. And it, that leaves me two years to get onto the U S Paralympic ski team and to make it happen. And right in the middle of that, wow. I lose my brother. And to be perfectly honest and candid, I wanted to die myself. I didn't want to live anymore. And there, nothing matters after that. Nothing, just nothing matters. And, you know, as I processed my grief and really tried to just keep swimming, you know, that, that same gritty toughness, just like move forward an inch if you have to today, but like, don't let go, like just keep moving. And as I processed and as I just kept inching forward, I just realized like my brother would want me to do this. Mm. He wanted this so much more than, uh, you know, we, we finally were living in Denver together and how, genuinely excited he was for me to get to the 2010 games. So, I mean, once I had that realization, I was like, son of a, now I got to do it. (laughs) Like now I have to do it. And I just resented him for that. I'm like, damn it. You know? And so I ended up, 
um, pushing forward. And I remember the first training camp I had, I went up to Mount Hood, Oregon and my brother died in June. We buried him in July and I was on snow July 14th. Wow. And it was, I mean, it was such a quick turnaround, but for me, like if I didn't keep training, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I would have done. So I go up to the mountain and every day I'm filling my goggles up with tears and it's Mm -hmm. just a mess. I'm crashing every run and crying at the end of the day and stuff. And, um, but he never left my side. He was there. I know he was. And I just felt like I was so inspired by him. And so the run you're talking about on the 60 minutes piece, I, I ended up like Cinderella's story. I had to win so many different races to get onto the Paralympic team. And if I had known that I probably would have messed it up, but I'm like, I'm just going to ski fast and like do what I'm supposed to do. And I didn't have anything to lose really. And so I show up at the 2010 games. I'm a rookie on the team. Uh, nothing to lose. That's so cool. And I left the most meddling athlete of those games. And so you not only won, I mean, how many medals did you win? Four altogether. Four. And then you went ahead and won more in the summer games. Yeah. That's incredible. (laughs) So for those of you listening, Elena's the first American to win gold in winter and summer Olympics for wheelchair basketball, alpine skiing, and it's it's just incredible. Thank Elena, you. your story's story's really remarkable and a testament that, you know, if you just keep moving forward even when you're at the depths of despair, good things come. Um so I actually want to change it a little bit up because when you do the Olympics, you end up on this international stage. So I want to talk a little bit about the Olympics because it looks so fun. I've never it been. Is. I've always wanted to. But then you get to do these TV tours. And you get to go on shows like Conan and there's, there's a scene and clip with you on the Conan <laughs> show that is so hysterically funny where you pretty much like punked Conan O'Brien. Um, Sweet. Can you just talk to me about some of the fun <laughs> moments that happened with the Olympics and going on these TV shows with, you know, all of these great yeah. celebrity TV hosts? So fun. I, there, there's been so many pinch me moments in my life, like SB red carpet, White House visits, ringing the stock exchange bell, you know, finding myself in these positions. I got to go to a school with Michelle Obama and promote her Let's Move program. Wow. Things like that. I'm like, did that really, was that me? Is this my life? <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, it's it's been an incredible journey. And But you make it happen. Yeah, yeah. It's I not, think that's it's not just always so fortunate. great. This, right. this stuff wasn't handed to you. Right. You kind of went out and made this happen. Yeah. And you know what? There, there's a lot to be said about the amount of work that happens on and off the field. You know, there's, there's so many people in, including the stuff that I did that had to work so hard to get me to where I was at. And so, you know, whether it was my ski team or my basketball team, I mean, I didn't do it alone, but I certainly did a lot of work and, you know, overcoming some major hurdles in my life to, to be able to compete. Um, that's just the half of it. I mean, everybody's got a personal life outside of even their athletic life or whatever, you know? And so, um, but you know, I, I feel like I, I've been blessed by that hard work. Like I've been, you know, just 
been given this gift of, of some of the most incredible experiences traveling the world. Um, fun things like Conan, even though it's super stressful, like think about going on a Conan O'Brien show. That was really I'd stressful. Be a wreck. <laughs> And I probably wouldn't be funny. I would be so nervous. I was pretty nervous. I was super nervous. And like the biggest tomboy, I didn't find my dress until like the night before. And I'm just like, oh God. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I've had such a good time in the midst of it all. So how do you make these things happen? It's not like you are a super, you know, it's not like other athletes whose agents just line these things up and you show up and all you have to do is brush your hair and find your dress. You kind yeah. of make some of these things happen. How do you do it? Is it surrounding yourself with good people? Is it constantly on the phone talking to people? Are you constantly emailing fans? Are you yeah, yeah. finding opportunities and pitching them? What are you doing? All of the above. Um, I feel like as a Paralympic athlete, we've always, I personally have always had to fight for my right to like party, you know, <laughs> like with the beastie boys. Yeah. We've, I've just anthem. really had to fight for my right. And you know, really not only fighting for equality in the Olympic and Paralympic world, but really proving to people that my worth as a Paralympian is equal to an Olympian. And so it's taken a lot of grit. Again, that word comes up, but, um, I really think that if you say yes to even what maybe are things that are fruitless or whatever. Like when I first started public speaking, I just said yes to everything. It didn't mm -hmm. have to pay me a single penny, but I wanted to get in front of people. One thing leads to another. And you know, it's, it's amazing how many people, as you know, in our little world of networking really do want to help you. Yeah. And, and if you help others, you know, it's this great cycle. But you're a really good speaker. Did, did you get a coach by any chance? I mean, you've done TED Talks, I know. I did a TED Talk, and a that TED was Talk. also very nerve-wracking. Um, going back to all of that, I think the same reason that I'm in a wheelchair, that risk-taker mentality, is the same reason I've been successful in speaking, in making opportunities like Conan happen, because I, I just take a risk, you know? And it's almost like... As I've gotten older, I've been able to calculate the risks, obviously take wiser, make wiser choices, but there's still that one moment when you have to jump, when you have to do it. And that's like, I'm thankful that that's sort of built into me, but I've also had to muster that up too. You know, it's, it's funny. Someone interviewed me today on their show about risk, and I just wish I had had your answer because that was <laughs> so well-spoken. Um, you're, you're also a woman in sports dominated mostly by men now surfing, especially, right. um, I don't know many Paralympian, uh, well, surfing is going to be an Olympic sport. So right. does that mean it'll also be in the Paralympics? That does not mean that it'll mm. be a Paralympic sport. Uh, the international Olympic committee and the international Paralympic committee are two different organizations. Um, but with the Olympic inclusion of surfing, that does give us a good chance of getting it into the Paralympic Games. And that's something that I'm working diligently to hopefully make happen. Is there anything we can do or the surfers and friends that I have listening can do to help make that possible? Well, I mean, any kind of inclusion that we can experience, you know, a lot of times I'll be out in the lineup and people don't know I'm paralyzed. They just think I'm on a wave ski <laughs> and I'm like, and they're, you know, they're maybe throwing some shade my way. Cause I have a paddle in my hand and throwing I'm like, listen, shade. 
I'm paralyzed. Yeah. Now you get to feel bad because you're not being <laughs> inclusive. We're all here having a good time. Waves are free. But, you know, I think any any support of the L.A. 2024 bid would be much appreciated. Mm. Um, I'm on the athlete commission board there and hoping to bring the games home, but then also include adaptive surfing in that as well. So you talked a little bit about how surfing and life have a lot of parallels. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, I, I love describing everything. Even when I break up with a guy, I use yeah, surfing yeah, yeah. analogies. <laughs> I dropped in, I got worked, whatever. Um, that's funny. I don't do that as much anymore, but yes, I have. Um, just talk to me a little bit about, about the analogy of life and surfing and how you approach it. Well, <laughs> you know, I think my, my favorite analogy with is actually between love and surfing, mm. which is funny that you say that because like, I've talked to a lot of people about dating and I'm dating now and, um, Elena's really cute for you good looking single cute. guys oh my God. who are athletic. So surfers, please only apply who don't live not. out of the back of their vans or does it matter? Please have like <laughs> some sort of shelter, I guess. Uh, a shelter, shelter in general. A tent works. So, I really think that love and surfing are so much alike in that when you first start dating, you're like a new surfer. You go out, you paddle out, and it's probably pretty hard to make it out to the lineup your first couple of times or whatever. But when you get out to the lineup, you're just paddling your brains out for anything because you don't know the break. <laughs> yep. And you're like, I'm just going to date everybody. <laughs> and like, you don't know what you're looking for. You yep. don't know the break very well. And more often than not, you're just getting demolished by like white water. Like you're just kind of getting worked basically. And then the more you really learn about what surfing is about, it's about calmness and being patient and knowing each wave mm -hmm. intimately, knowing what you like in a wave. You're sitting out there in the lineup and not only are you not paddling your brains out, you actually are just patiently kind of waiting for that wave to find you and pick you up. Right. I love that analogy. And then when you get barreled, that's like true love. Yeah. You know, I just want to let you know, I, I did meet my fiance surfing. I cut him off multiple times until he I love paid that. attention. This is not, this is not an endorsement to cut off guys in the lineup. This is not FYI. recommended. <laughs> this is not recommended. It's not cool. Um, if you see Elena in the lineup, give her a wave. She's awesome. So Elena, I've so enjoyed having you on the show. I've got a few more questions. Cool. Uh, I ask everyone this question, but if you could go back in time and give your 15 year old self advice, what would you tell her? 15. Oh, that's such an interesting age. That was my hardest age in life. 15. 15. Yeah. You're still trying to find like where you belong. It's like your freshman year in high school. It's your freshman year in high school for yep. most people. Or sophomore. It was yeah, my yeah. sophomore year, I think. Yeah. It's such a formative, awkward stage of like, I don't know who I am. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I would probably tell her, my 15-year-old self, um, slow down a little bit. I would tell her just to slow down, um, really enjoy the time that you have at that age. I mean, I think the innocence at that age is really beautiful. And 
I mean, what a simple time in our lives, right? I, all I had to do was play sports and eat dinner when I got home. I know. It was so nice. <laughs> it seems so complicated, but it was so simple. Yep. Um, do you have any routines you stick to? You're really busy. You're, you're highly, you know, highly motivated and you're a high performer. Do you, do you meditate every morning? Do you do yoga? I do participate in yoga. I'm actually going to a yin yoga class after this, awesome. which I'm excited about. Um, you know, waking up early is really important for me. I, I like to take my time in the morning. And as of January 2017, I've decided that I don't want to look at my phone or any device for the first hour of every day. I love that. Wake up, be in your space. Like, don't look at your phone. Um, and then one of my other just really simple mantras for myself is if it takes less than a minute and a half, do it now. Whether it's an email, whether it's the dishes, like, you know, those things that you just perpetually put off and then they yep. all pile up and you're like, I'm so far behind. Yep. Like that's just kind of, it's really simple, but you know, and advice. the last piece of advice that I tell everybody is get your workout in, in the morning. Because if you wait until the end of the day, inevitably there's going to be something that you think and will justify as being more important than your workout. So mm, that's great advice. If you could, um, I guess this is another piece of advice I'm looking for. If, if you could fly like an eco-friendly plane around the world and it could read one beautiful message to the world, what would your message to the world be? Uh, well, one of my favorite things and something that got me through some of my hardest times is do the best you can with what you have where you are. I love that. That's a great, great quote. Great line. Do you read at all? I've just started reading a lot more. Yeah. Is there any books you recommend that kind of help shape you or that you love? Well, um, yes, there are a few that I think matter most to me. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of the four agreements. Mm -hmm. Uh, the mastery of love is a, an important book for me. And I guess, um, right now I'm re I'm reading a lot of female memoirs Cool, and that's really been inspiring for me. Maria Bello's memoir was really good. Whatever love is love. Um, a great friend of mine just wrote a book called gutsy girl who you know. Caroline Paul, she's coming on. She's amazing. I think her book is really impactful. Um, not only just for the demographic that she wrote it for, I think it's really important for all of us to understand how important it is for girls to be gutsy too. So, Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll have her on soon. And it's so funny. She was like, you have to have Elena on the show. And I'm like, she's coming on the show. That's so weird that you know her. The universe is really small. You travel a lot. Are there... Are there things that you 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 take on every trip? Because is there pe are there pieces of gear that you just love having, or food, or things that you do to make traveling easy? Because I know you're on the road a lot. Yeah, so I actually I have this very standard bag that goes with me on every trip. 
So a great company actually here in the local area, it's called Skills, makes this spine ball. Okay, so imagine two tennis balls kind of taped together. They make one that's just one foam, full foam piece that has two balls on either side. <laughs> you know how <laughs> you know how those airplane I know what you're talking about. Those things look really funny when you see them. Yeah, they I, do. I, I love them. I'm I just, love that I'm thing. just having an immature mind, sorry. That, yeah, I was... I know where you're going with that. So airplane seats really round your shoulders. And I've already built my pecs up so much. I push a, a wheelchair every day. So for me to be able to open my chest and like stretch my pecs, I use that skills ball thing, balls. <laughs> we'll put a link to the skills balls on, yeah. the, on the show notes as well. Um, and then I have Bose noise canceling earphones. Oh, I have yes. um, my favorite. I love this Nike like big hood that it's like a hoodie but it'll cover my entire face like it's it's a setup (laughs) it's a setup I get in headphones you know and depending on the trip if it's short I'm not going to really shut the world out but if it's a long over to Germany trip then check out podcasts love like checking into Tim Ferriss or whatever it is I've got like a setup of entertainment I always have like good nutrition bars. I'm always trying something different, but like it's so easy to eat like terribly if you don't think about it first. Yeah. How do you, do you have any rules you kind of stick to with eating? Um, I've, I've actually been leaning more towards protein supplement stuff recently. I've, I like to supplement a whole meal with a protein shake more often than not lately. Um, I I eat pretty clean. And to be honest, I'm not trying to get on that gluten-free bandwagon, but it does make me feel better. Yeah. I'm on the, I'm on the bandwagon too. And (laughs) I feel great. So there might be something to it. Well, I just love having on the show. Um, you know, I was thinking you like memoirs and I just can't help but my writer mind is going off that there is a book in there, Elena. And if you ever need help, I'd be happy to help you. Where can people find out more? Cool. Well, I do have a website. It's elenajanenichols.com. I am on Facebook at Elena Nichols and Instagram at Elena the Jane and Twitter at Elena Nichols 21. Awesome. I will put all of that in the show notes. Elena, thank you so much for meeting me at the Challenge Athletes Foundation, for coming on the show, for sharing your beautiful, inspiring, but most of all, empowering story. Cool. Thank you for having me. It was I can't, awesome. can't wait to go surfing. Yeah, let's do it. You. <laughs> That was definitely one of my favorite interviews ever. I really hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. If you get a chance, go to elenajanenichols.com. It's A-L-A-N-A-J-A-N-E-N-I-C-H-O-L-S.com. Watch her episode with Conan O'Brien and watch the episode on 60 Minutes. You might laugh and cry. They're just both great pieces. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you like this show, tell a friend. And if you get a chance, go to wildideasworthliving.com and sign up for our weekly email newsletters. Don't forget, the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. Much gratitude to all of you out there. We'll see you next week.